We're looking at the title tonight very simply, My Redeemer Lives. My Redeemer Lives. Job is a character that had a very rough time, uh, to put it mildly. Come with me if you would to Job chapter 1 please. I want you to see this. I want you to see how uh, Job was a very eminent man. He was a very uh, wise man. He was a godly man. But he was a, a wealthy man as well. And we find that he had a very rough time in this period of his life. Because basically everything went wrong that could possibly go wrong. And we find in Job chapter 1. Look at the verses 1 and 5. Look at the verse 1 initially with me please. We find that Job was a man that was in tune with God spiritually. It says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job and that man was perfect. Now when we read the word perfect there it's not referring to uh, sinlessly perfect as some would try and teach. It's referring to the word complete. He was complete and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil but no doubt this is a godly man before us and it's interesting if the holy spirit of god was to write one verse one testimony verse about your life or mine would the holy spirit be able to write that that man that woman was perfect and upright one that feared god and eschewed evil but we find not only was he walking with god spiritually uh, we find that by that testimony. But look at the verse 5 as well. We find this was a man that in a sense was a priest as well. Because he was a man that shed blood and went and did sacrifices for his family. It says in the verse 5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about. The Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning. And offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said it may be. That my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. So this is a man really in tune with God. But we find in the verses 2 and 3. That Job was a man that had great material wealth as well. So we note something of him spiritually. Now materially what do we see? Look at the verse 2 of chapter 1. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep. Even in our days reckoning, if you saw a man with 7,000 sheep, you'd say, well, he's in some way of going. But look what it says, and 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. They find this is a man that had huge material wealth. But then if you stay in chapter 1 and look at the verse... 13, we find that everything went wrong that could possibly go wrong. We read in the verse 13, and there was a day. <laughs> now this was going to be some day. And let me say, it was all in one day as well. He didn't lose his wealth and his family over a period of time. It says, there was a day. And it says in the verse 14, and there came a messenger unto Job and said, and there we find his 1,000 or, or, or all his asses and she-asses are, are gone. Then we find, uh, literally as that man is finishing off speaking, verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came 
uh, also another and said. And then we find his 7,000 sheep are gone. And then we, we find in the verse 17, look at it. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said. Here we find only in a matter of minutes now that his oxen are gone, his sheep are gone, his 3,000 camels in the verse 17 are gone. And then in the verse 18 we read, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. You know, we read that Job lost everything, not just over a period of time, not just even in a day, but quite literally in a matter of, what, five minutes? He lost everything, absolutely everything. And look at the verse 20. It says, then Job arose, and I know what you and I would do if we're honest. We'll be angry, we would be so wroth. But look what it says. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and and worshipped. That's incredible. I've underlined those two words in my Bible, and worshipped. Because how do you worship after all of that? How do you worship the Lord and thank the Lord and say in the verse 21, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is another type of spirituality. That is a real walk with God. And we read in the verse 22, in all this Job sinned not. Nor charged God foolishly. You know, just as a sideline, let me say this in chapter 1. We find that Job is a type of Christ. Job is a type of Christ. Christ is prophet, priest, and king. Anyone that learned the Shorter Catechism will know that. That Christ executed three offices. The office of a prophet, the office of a priest, and the office of a king. And we see that. Look at the verse 3 again. It says, this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Do you not see Job as a type of Christ there, as the greatest of men, as king? In the verse 5, we noted him as a man that offered burnt offerings. We see him there as a priest. But then come with me now to Job chapter 19 and the verses 25 through to 27. And we see Job as a prophet. Because Job here in this portion, he's, he's about to say something quite remarkable. It really is remarkable because we read, as we've read in the verse 23 and following, he knows that this is remarkable and he knows that this needs to be written down and this needs to be remembered because this is a prophecy approximately 1,700 years before the Lord was even born in Bethlehem. And he says, nearly 2,000 years before it even happens, he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And he makes a prophecy about future events and what a type of Christ we see in this man. But you know, this is a wonderful truth about Job. Job had a rough life, a rough time in this book. He has lost everything. There is this disaster that has gone on. He has lost his family. He has lost his fortune. He has lost absolutely everything in a matter of minutes. And what was Job's hope in the bad times? What was Job's strength in the discouraging times? 
What was Job's hope when it seemed that everything is lost? Verse 25 was Job's hope. I know that my Redeemer liveth. You see, Job could lose everything. He could lose his camels, he could lose his sheep, he could lose his oxen, he could even lose his own children, he could lose absolutely everything. But one thing Job knew in the depth of his soul that he could never lose, he could never lose Christ. He could never lose his salvation. And he knew even if every material earthly thing was to be stripped away from him, He would still have this declaration. I know that my Redeemer liveth. And I don't know if you've had a hard time this week. I don't know your burdens or your trials. I don't know your tears or your heartaches or your aches and pains. But one thing I do know is this, believer. Your Redeemer lives tonight. And that ought to be a wonderful encouragement for your soul and mine. But as we look at Job 19 and the verses 25 through to 27, I want you to note three things. Three things about what is a prophecy from the prophet Job. We don't often identify Job as a prophet, but he is the prophet Job. And I want you to note firstly, the revelation of Christ. The revelation of Christ. Because in the first part of the verse 25, we find Job reveals remarkable things about Christ that we know now looking back in time and looking back with hindsight but Job could have never known these things before they happened and it must have been a word from the Lord because he says in the verse 25 for I know that my redeemer liveth and in that one sentence he reveals so much to us now he reveals that Christ is a redeemer That immediately tells us that Job knew that Christ was going to die. He was going to die and he was going to die in the place of a people. And he was going to die to purchase a people. And that whole word redeemer refers to to redeem or, or to buy back or to pay a price. And even in the title that he gives to the Savior, he indicates the death of Christ. How could Job have known that? It must have been a prophecy and a word from the Lord. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is a redeemer. And Job was absolutely right, wasn't he? Christ is a redeemer. He is one that went to the cross. And he is one that paid a price to buy us back. Come with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. 1 Peter chapter 1 and the verses 18 and 19. And maybe you ask, well, what is the price that Christ paid as the Redeemer to buy us back? Well, let me tell you this. He didn't buy us back with gold or silver. I tell you this. If anybody had gold and silver, then it was the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But he didn't buy us back with gold or silver. What did he buy us with? He bought us with something far more precious than gold or silver or the trinkets of this world. He bought us with his own blood. And it says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 18, For as much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without Spot, come over the page from 1 Peter to uh, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. 
And you know the remarkable thing is this. When we consider the blood of Christ. And we consider the price that is far higher uh, of value than gold or silver. Or anything else that you can purchase with in this earth. Was the blood of Christ sufficient to wash away our sin? Well let's see. 1 John 1 verse 7 tells us at the end of that verse. The blood of Jesus Christ. The same blood that Peter is talking about. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, God's son, cleanseth us from some of our sin. It doesn't say that. The majority of our sin, no. Cleanseth us from all sin. From all sin. And you know, I believe Job knew this. Job knew that Christ would be a redeemer. The blood would be shed. And that the redeemer must die. How do, you know, how do we know that? Well, come back with me to Job chapter 1 and the verse 5. Because Job was a man that was continually, we read in Job chapter 1 and the verse 5, he did it continually, went and performed burnt offerings. He was shedding blood at the altar, and it was all to typify the blood of Christ. And we read of it there again in Job 1 verse 5. It says that, that he rose up early in the morning, halfway down the verse, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all, according to the number of his children. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now you may ask, when you look at the time frame of the Bible, Job approximately, Job's one of the earliest books of the Bible, by the way. Job, if you were to put it all in chronological order, really, would fit into the Bible timeline around Genesis chapter 11 or thereabouts. It's a very early account of any child of God. But how would Job know that blood has to be shed, that offerings need to be made? Job would have been around before Moses, before the book of Leviticus, before the books of Moses, before all the laws and all the Levitical laws and the priesthood. And how did Job know? Well, because the Lord set the example, didn't he? You remember Genesis chapter 3? Sin entered the world and what did the Lord do? He shed the blood of an innocent to cover Adam and Eve with the skins thereof. And we find Job knew that the blood had to be shed and and he knew that the Redeemer must die. He must shed his blood. And, And it's very telling here in Job 19 verse 25 when he says, My Redeemer, he indicates that Christ is a, a saviour that must die upon the tree. And you know something else we learn about the saviour in Job chapter 19 and the verse 26. We read something about this redeemer because Job says at the end of the verse 26, Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. You see, he knows that this redeemer is God as well. He knows that this Redeemer, then he must have to take on humanity and human flesh, but also he must be God. And even in this, even in these earliest days before Job could learn a shorter catechism or read the Westminster Confession of Faith or or, or look at any particular doctrine, we find Job had it clear in his heart that Christ must be the God-man in order to reconcile both God and man together again. And it really is remarkable, so much that Job indicates about the Redeemer. But then what else does he tell us? Well, we find in the verse 25 again of Job 19, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that my Redeemer liveth. 
Now, by the very name Redeemer, we've noted that Job knows this individual, the God-man, must die. But Job then also indicates in this prophecy that this Redeemer, this individual that has done the work of redemption in order to be called the Redeemer, he's already died in order to gain the title Redeemer, that my Redeemer lives. And he knows that there will be a resurrection from the dead. He knows that this Redeemer would live again. That he would come back to life. And maybe he doesn't know the detail like you and I know the detail of it. Because remember Job is writing and speaking 1,700 years before the Lord is even born in Bethlehem. Yet he knows my Redeemer liveth. And sure enough our Redeemer does live. We read in Matthew 28 verse 6 he is not here. For he is risen as he said. He's alive. He's alive tonight. Come with me to Revelation chapter 1 please. Revelation chapter 1. And you know it's one thing people to say. Well well, the disciples say he's alive. Or Christians today say he's alive. But it's quite another thing. If Christ himself says he's alive isn't it? It's it's easy to, to try and be duped by other people. But, but when you know somebody died and then somebody starts talking to you after he was dead. You've got to know that surely he's alive. We find in Revelation 1 and the verse 18. The Lord Jesus Christ speaking to us. And the Lord Jesus Christ after his death. After his resurrection. Declares this truth in Revelation 1.18. I am he that liveth. And was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And we find Job reveals all this to us in this early prophecy. But then one more thing I want you to know about this revelation of Christ. Look at the verse 25 of Job 19 again. It says, For I, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that my Redeemer liveth. You know, I believe we live in a day and generation where Christians... And I'm talking about soundly saved people. I am talking about Christians. But they struggle with lack of assurance. Struggle with knowing. Knowing. Really knowing. Well I want to tell you this believer. You can know that your redeemer lives. This isn't something to be doubted. This is something that we know. And we know through the scriptures of truth. But we also know because of personal experience. You know it. Uh, I was thinking, it reminded me of something this afternoon as I was thinking about this message. I remember as a child going into the, the chip shop and uh, you'll see the, the, the huge counter and you'll see all the good wee bits in, the, uh, in there warming up and it'll say, hot, do not touch. And I don't know if it's just me, but when you see a sign that says, hot, do not touch, what do you do? You go and you touch it and then you go, oh, <laughs> that's hot. And so it was. So the counter was hot, just like it said. But you know, it's one thing to be told it. It's another thing to experience it. And I want to tell you this, my friend. I know that my Redeemer lives. Yes, the Word of God tells me my Redeemer lives. But I know my Redeemer lives because of my personal relationship with Him. And my Redeemer does live. And I know He lives. And you can know as well. Come with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and the verse 12. And we find Job isn't the only one that knew this. 
Job isn't the only one that have really got a hold of this. That he, he knows that his Redeemer lives. We find Paul knew that his Redeemer lived as well. And he writes this second letter to uh, this young man, Timothy. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. So why is he willing to suffer? Why is he not ashamed? He tells us why. Because he knows his Redeemer lives. And he says, For I know. He knows something. What's he know? I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able To keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You know, only a living saviour could keep his soul until that great day. Only a living saviour could do that. And Paul knew it too. And he knew it. And you can know as well. And we find this revelation of Christ. Nearly 2,000 years before Christ is even born in his humanity in Bethlehem. Then we find not only the revelation of Christ... I want you to note, secondly, from Job chapter 19, the return of Christ. The return of Christ. Isn't it quite amazing what we're reading now? Look at the verse 25 with me, please. It says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. This is incredible stuff. It really is. You know, this is Job talking about the Lord's return before the Lord has even come the first time. That's what Job is doing here. He's talking about the Lord's second coming before the first coming. And he gives us such detail that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And he's talking about Christ coming again. Come with me to Matthew 24 if you would. Matthew 24 because you know the Lord Jesus Christ himself talked about his return. He did and and it's wonderful to acknowledge these things you know at times the second coming of the lord isn't preached on like it should be and i freely admit that is a a preacher's fault we all are guilty of it at times but it's a wonderful truth to learn and read about and study we read in matthew 24 uh, look at the verse 42 with me please the verse 42 the lord tells us he, he tells us that as god's people we ought to be waiting and watching for his return and job was looking for the return even before the first time he came and it says verse 42 watch therefore watch why for ye know not what hour your lord doth come and then look at the verse 44 therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the son of man cometh i wonder I wonder, do we live in that attitude of expectancy of the Lord returning? Do we live in that way? You know, if you were to think about it, if the Lord were going to return in the past week, would you have been happy if the Lord had returned and found you doing whatever you were doing? You know, at times we can be so... So blasé about our sin, so passive about our sin. But the word of God tells us in light of the Lord's return, watch. And it says in the verse 44, be also ready. Be ready for that day. Be living in expectancy of that day. Come with me to Revelation chapter 1 again. In Revelation chapter 1 we read very clearly that the Lord is coming back. Now I don't know when. I don't know when. Personally, I'll be honest with you, I believe there are certain things, certain prophecies that need to be fulfilled in the scriptures before the Lord returns. But we know the Lord is coming again. And it's a wonderful truth. 
says in Revelation 1 and verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds. So he cometh, he's coming. Now, that word behold, it's saying essentially, wake up, get a hold of this. Understand it. It says, behold, he cometh. Get excited about it. He cometh with clouds. And look at it. And every eye shall see him. That means every eye in this meeting. My eyes will see him. Your eyes will see him. Every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And not everyone will be happy about the Lord's return. But while we're in Revelation, come with me to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. And the truth of the matter is that the Lord's return ought to affect the way we live our lives. It ought to affect the way we live our lives. This truth ought to be burnt on our souls and ought to affect our everyday lives. And you say, why? Well, the scriptures tell us why. Look at Revelation 22 and the verse 12. It says, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So we find there that the Lord, when he returns, he's coming with a reward. He's coming back with a payment. And we ought to be living our lives in the light of the Lord coming back and the Lord returning with a reward. You know, maybe some will be given something that they don't like, they don't want. Maybe others will be given something far greater than they ever expected. But the Lord is coming back with rewards when he comes. And therefore this truth ought to affect our lives. But then come back with me to Job chapter 19. Because I want you to note the detail here. And detail is always important in the word of God. And we find that Job gives detail here about the Lord's return that could easily be missed. It says in the verse 25, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he, that he shall, he shall do what? He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He shall stand upon the earth. You know, there are those that have this idea that when the Lord comes again, we will be caught up to meet him in the air. And that is right, we will be caught up to meet him in the air. But they have this idea that then we'll all turn around and go back to heaven. No. We will be caught up to meet him in the air and the Lord will come down to this earth and he will stand at the latter day upon the earth. That's what the word of God tells us. He is coming to this earth and he is going to physically stand upon this earth. We're not going to disappear from this earth. Come with me to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. If you find the break between the Old and New Testament, you'll find the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. But Zechariah is just before that book. The second book back. And we find in Zechariah chapter 14, look at the verse 4. We find that very plain detail is given about the Lord standing upon the earth and what will happen at that place where he stands. It says in Zechariah chapter 14 and the verse 4, And his feet shall stand in that day. So Job's right. He agrees with Zechariah, and Zechariah agrees with, with Job. This is right now. We find the scriptures in agreement. His feet shall stand in that day. And now we find where he's going to stand. Look at the verse 4. Upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. 
and on uh, and the Mount of Olives. Now look at this detail given. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. We find that the Lord will stand upon the Mount of Olives. And then the Mount of Olives will quite literally split in half. That's what we read there. That it's going to split in half. That it's going to cleave in two. And the two ends of the mountain are going to move. That is what we read. And yet even in Job 19 we read little details like this being given. That he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. But then come with me to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. And I want you to hold your place in Revelation 20. We'll glance back and forth at Job and Revelation 20. Uh, a few times, so it'd be wise to put a finger or a mark, a bookmark in it. Revelation 20 in the verse 4, we find that the Lord will come, he will come in that last day, he'll stand upon the earth, he'll stand on the Mount of Olives, and listen, you and I will reign with Christ, that's what we read. Revelation 20, look at the verse 4, it says in the verse 4, and I saw thrones, and they uh, sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. Look at this now. This is about the people of God at the Lord's return, and they lived and reigned with Christ. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. You see, friend, we're not going to be caught up to meet him in the air and then turn round and scurry back to heaven. We're going to come back to earth with him and we're going to live and we're going to reign with Christ. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron and a rule uh, of righteousness. It really is remarkable. But then come back with me to Job 19, holding your place in Revelation 20. We find not only the revelation of Christ... And the return of Christ. But then thirdly. We find in Job 19. The resurrection in Christ. The resurrection in Christ. And Job talks about us all. All of these things that are going to happen in the last days. It says look at the verse 25 of Job 19. For I know that my redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Look at the verses 26 and 27 now. And though after my skin... Worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Now what else does Job reveal here? He reveals the first resurrection of the righteous. He reveals that even though he will be long dead, he believes, he believes he will be in the grave, and Job is right, the worms have eaten him up. His body has gone back to dust. As many of the saints of God, they're in the graves that have walked the face of the earth. In fact, Job, if you estimate it, uh, approximately 1,700 years before the Lord's birth. If you say 2,000 years on since the Lord's birth, you say 3,700 years Job has been in the ground. 3,700 years, nearly 4,000 years Job has been dead. And yet we find, he says with such confidence, after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. He makes it clear that he will be there at resurrection day. He will be there. And he, we know he's referring to resurrection day because he says, he says in the verse 26, 
in my flesh, in my flesh shall I see God. He doesn't say just as my soul, but in my flesh. He's talking about the resurrection day. Come with me to Revelation 20 again. Revelation 20, the end of the verse 4, we read what we've already read. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And it says in the verse 5 of Revelation 20, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now, you know, there's some debate that, and we have an open position in the denomination. I have no problem at all with that. Uh, We have great banter at times, even debating these things. Don't worry about that. But I think that is very, very plain indeed. I believe it. I really do. Verse 5, the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. The Lord tells us in his word that the believer, if they're in the grave, at the time the Lord returns, there will be a first resurrection of believers. And it says in the verse 6, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And we find Job is talking about this first resurrection. And why is he confident? Come back with me to Job 19. Hold your place in Revelation 20 still. But why is Job confident? Whatever your end time view is, we know and we all agree on this, that there will be a resurrection from the dead. Why is Job so confident that in my flesh I shall see God? Well, he knows because his Redeemer lives, he too will live. Because his Redeemer rose from the dead, he too will rise from the dead. Because his Redeemer lives in his own flesh. We read that in the Catechism too. The only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man and so was and continueth to be. Continueth to be God and man. In two distinct natures and one person forever. Christ lives now still as the God-man in the glory. Still in his flesh he sees God and is God. And we find Job knows because Christ lives in the power of an endless life. So he will live in the power of an endless life. Come with me to Revelation again. Revelation 20 in the verse 6. Revelation 20 in the verse 6. And that's why Job can say with confidence that he will be blessed and holy because he will have part in the first resurrection. And we see something of what that day will be like. Come with me to Revelation 21 and the verse 4. Revelation 21 and the verse 4. You know these verses are often read concerning heaven and they're read concerning the glory uh, and especially at funerals. But these verses are actually specific to a time when the Lord has returned. And it says in Revelation 21 verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. It really is remarkable. But then come with me. You can leave Revelation behind now. Come with me to Philippians chapter 3 in the verse 21. Philippians 3 in the verse 21. And we find that we know, even though you may go to the grave, even though you may go six foot under and the worms may destroy your body and you may turn to dust again, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, as we say as we commit the body to the ground, 
Ultimately, believer, we have a promise that in our flesh we shall see God. Why? Why is that? Because the believer is promised a new body, a glorified body, a body like unto his body. And it says in Philippians 3 in the verse 21, Who who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. You know, I find it quite remarkable that here in Job chapter 19, Job tells us so much in this prophecy of our Christ before he even appears in Bethlehem and long before the cross. And he says, I shall see God. And he's very confident. Look at the verse 27 of Job 19. Whom I shall see for myself. (laughs) You know, it's like Job knows his friends aren't believing him. It's like Job is saying, I wish you'd you'd get a hold of this truth. I really do. Write it down in a book. Print it in a book. Get it with an iron pen and write it in a rock forever. I wish you'd get a hold of this. I'm not joking now. I'm not talking nonsense. He says, whom I shall see for myself. And then he gives further evidence. And mine eyes shall behold, and not another. He makes it so clear, underlining it, underlining it, underlining it. And he says, not another, though my reins be consumed within me. He highlights the fact that, yes, I'm going to be dead. By the way, in case you didn't know, I am going to be dead. And I will see him in my flesh, and not another, I myself. And praise God, we have the same declaration tonight. That's what we possess as the people of God. We will see the Lord face to face in our flesh. Either if we're in our flesh when he comes or in a new body when he returns. And what a day that will be. This is our Savior. And I don't know what your life has been like in the last week or months or years or anything. Or the burdens or troubles or stresses or Whatever you possess, but one thing I do know is this. If you're a child of God, you can reiterate these same wonderful words with Job. I know, I know, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And they shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another. Though my reins be consumed within me. We trust the Lord will bless his truth to each of our hearts. We're going to